to serve such a faithful God and I love uh, the fringe moments of our gatherings where we get to talk with each other and hear how God has been faithful in your lives. I want to read to you from Romans 8 um, and to be honest I kind of just wanted to stop and read the whole book but I thought we might be here for a little too long so go home this week and read Romans. Okay church I'm gonna I'm gonna start in chapter 8 starting at verse 12 therefore brothers we have an obligation but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it for if you live according to the sinful nature you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you will live because those who are led by the spirit of god are sons of god for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is good news of the gospel church, right? We are saved and delivered from our sins before a holy God because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. We get to call him Abba Father. We get to walk along this journey of life, which includes sufferings because we are, we are his children. We suffer as he suffered on the cross, right? But he walks with us hand in hand and he does not abandon us. This next song we're gonna sing, it's, it's, it's been a while since we've sang it, but um, speaks a lot of the highs and the lows and the mountains and the valleys and, and the summits and that he is everywhere. Even through those shadows of the night that might seem so dark that you can't see your hand in front of your face. We are his children and he holds us 
so tightly. He loves us and desires that we continue to say yes to him, no to sin, and walk with him through the highs and lows. Let's sing.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your steadfastness to us. Thank you for your unfailing love, God, that holds us, that draws us to you, that saves us from death. Lord, may our lives um, just be an outpouring of our response to that. Not just in these moments, in this hour that we gather here, but God, as we leave these walls, um, would our response to you just be um, whatever, whatever you want for us, God? Because you have given us so much. We love you. And we pray now that in the remainder of this service that you would be with those that are speaking to us, that you would, um, that your Holy Spirit would just guide them in the words that they speak to us. Would our ears be open, God, that we may leave this place changed because of our encounter with you. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Josh um, sent me an email a week or so ago and asked me to lead the connection moment this morning. And he asked me to talk about what small groups mean to, means to me. Not a commercial for small groups, but what small groups has meant to me. Um, my husband and I, Neil, and I have come to this church for about 25 years. We've been involved in small groups over maybe about 10. I'm not sure exactly. Um, for me, small groups means a deeper connection with people and a deeper connection with God. Um, my small group now, we discuss the sermon topics. I love the sermon. I love the points on the screen. I take notes. Um, most keep my focus on the sermon and not on lunch or Sunday school because I teach Sunday school second service or anything else. So it helps me to focus. But I do it with the intent to review those later in the week. And honestly, I have that great intention, but rarely does that actually happen on my own. So our small group, we get together and we talk about those sermon points. And um, it really helps me throughout the week then to remember the points, but to also remember what we've talked about. And I have a couple of examples and I'm going kind of way back. Um, but do you remember when we did the neighbor to neighbor series? Our small group talked about our neighbors, and I shared with them that I'd like to get together with my neighbor every once in a while and have coffee, but it had been a while. So um, my small group then prayed for me as I made that connection that week with my neighbor, and then, you know, we set a date, and the next week, small group met again, and then they were able to pray, yeah, I'm meeting with her Tuesday for coffee. And so on Tuesday, I knew that when I was meeting with my neighbor, my small group was praying for me. And that meant so much to me. And that took the sermon topic of neighbor neighbor and made it personal to me and my small group. Um, another example is the Beatitudes. And I love this part because our small group met together through those weeks and we actually memorized together the, the Beatitudes. Now, how long has that been, you know, since maybe kindergarten, first grade, second grade, Sunday school, that, that we have actually memorized scripture and, and you know, um, spoke it out loud together. It was really a neat thing. And then we also talked about, well, what does it mean to seek out, to hunger and thirst after righteousness? What does it look like 
in, in this day and age to be meek. Um, so, you know, we talked about how we see that in each other's lives and how, <laughs> honestly, a lot of times the main, sometimes we share about how we had the opportunity but maybe didn't follow through. And then we can encourage each other. And basically what it is is building relationships, knowing each other well enough to say, hey, don't you remember when I told you about this? And then you, you said, you know, this, and that is seeking after righteousness, or that is being meek. So we can help each other see how we are living the truths from the sermon, from the scripture, out in our lives. And then last but not least is we always eat together. <laughs> I love food. I love preparing and serving food. But even if that's not possible, we always share a meal together. And that's really where we make the personal connections. I remember one couple saying, hey, we have this mattress. Does anybody need a queen-size mattress? And then somebody in the group said, hey, I know somebody who needs a queen-size mattress. So there you go, you know. Um, it's building relationships. It's helping each other out. One of us had a son who was purchasing a car and knew that somebody else in the group really knows a lot about cars. So they were able to help each other through that process. I am so thankful for our small group. We have grown close to each other, but ultimately closer to God because we discuss those truths that we see on the screen every week. So with a grateful heart, I just want to just give God the, the thanks for giving me my small group that has helped me through so much. Thank you. So you don't get any better than Neil and Judy, and we love them. You, the, the things that Neil does, this is Neil's second job, I think, sometimes. He's here doing things at the church, and Judy's done so much through the years with the kids and, and teaching, and we appreciate them. I appreciate her testimony about small groups and the significance of it. And um, uh, we, we, we use a phrase in staff meeting oftentimes, you celebrate what you want to duplicate. And, and so we bring people up just with the simple ideals. We want you to see these things because we believe they're important. And, and small groups are essential. Um, I, I, I am convinced uh, that the life of this church, the life of any church, the life of the church is built and sustained through the small group through the small connection, through the relationship. Folks, this isn't about religious activity, it's about relationship. And small groups, Sunday school classes, all these different ways that we have opportunities for you to connect with people, um, family tables are ways you can build relationships and we'd encourage you to be a part. Thank you, Judy. Um, you ever hear the phrase, true colors? You ever hear that phrase, wonder where that comes from? True colors, the, the phrase, we all understand, you, you see people's true colors. Well, true colors comes from this ideal that ships would, would, would have colors, flags. And sometimes, in the, in the midst of war, ships would hang the wrong flag on their ship to trick the enemy so they could kill them. Kill them. That, that doesn't seem fair, does it, right? And so they get close and say, hey, wait, that's the enemy, and they blow that ship up. And so this phrase, true colors, means being fake, not being real, not showing your true identity. And, and we, we don't like fake things, right? We, we, we want real. We want authentic. If you, let's say you go to a jewelry store, and, and you buy your, your spouse a, a diamond ring, and you spend big bucks, and then you take it to get appraised, and the appraisal says, yes, that's really pretty, but it's fake. 
you wouldn't be happy, right? Anybody ever have that happen? Okay, no, we won't have you raise your hand. You know, we want real. We don't want to be scammed by fake offers, phishing emails. I, I hope when you get an email from somebody that looks, if somebody sends you an email saying that, hey, I found these pictures, don't open those pictures, all right? Uh, because usually it's phishing, and you can look at the email. And it, so they, they can take the name and have a completely different email than the person that you know by that name. So we can be scammed by fake offers. We can be scammed by fake news. Ever post an article on your Facebook page and the next week it's being blocked because it's a scam or fake? Uh, before there was Facebook, I, I forwarded a, face, a fake news. When I was in college, I was told, anybody know the singer Sandy Patty? I was told that she was dead. And I circulated rumors all over Mid-American Nazarene College at that time that Sandy Patty was dead. And it was really embarrassing when she was in concert the next week. Uh, we don't like fake. Uh, there was a movie several years ago called Catch Me If You Can, and in Catch Me and You Can, Forrest Gump was chasing after the guy that drowned on Titanic. Uh, sorry, that's it. Frank Ab Abney, or Abinell, and, and, and he, he had impersonated attorneys and doctors and airline pilots, and, and the movie's really exciting, you know, all these things. It's based on his book, and and later on, you found out that he'd exaggerated that, that he hadn't done that. And so really, his greatest trick was he was impersonating an impersonator, right? But we want authentic in our relationships. Who would agree with me that you want your doctor to be a real doctor, right? Uh, you want real mechanics. Next week, Terry and, our, and I are flying to Cancun for our anniversary. And I'll just tell you, I want a real pilot. You know, I don't want a fake pilot. We, we want our friends to be authentic. We don't want our friends to be fake. See, motivation is important in determining authentic relationships. So, so you know, the, the phrase you sometimes hear, you don't hear as much anymore, is this phrase, gold digger. You know, somebody that's after someone's money. And, you know, I, if Terry was after my money because I was a lawyer, the joke's on her because I don't have any, Right. Uh, but, but we know those friends, those false friends, those false relationships, that, that it's, it's all about what you give to them. In every relationship, there is give and take, but in false relationships, it's all take. Now, we're working through this identity series, crisis series, and, and we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're talking about discipleship, and, and, and we worked through the antithesis last week, and we ended with, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this morning, we're going to talk about the importance of authenticity in relationship. And why does that matter? Discipleship is based on relationship. Can you say that with me? Discipleship is based on relationship. You know, discipleship's not about just the things you do, but it's about a relationship with your Heavenly Father and a relationship with other people. You know, relationships changes. Uh, you, you think about the people that are most influential in your life. You have been formed, transformed, changed, formed in the midst of relationship, family and friends and work relationships. Karen and I have been married in, in about 10 days, 30 years. And I always tell people before they get married, I'll, I'll, I'll say to the bride and groom, now listen, that person that you're marrying that the same person that walks down the aisle will be the same person that leaves the church. 
That marriage ceremony, that, that ritual will not change that person. But the reality is, marriages do change us. Uh, Terry and I are different because of our 30 years together. You know, when Terry and I got married, she didn't give a hoot about basketball, and now she is a raving basketball maniac. Not for me, but for the boys. And I'm a better man because of my relationship with Terry. She's taught, and we've leaned into each other, and we've learned from each other. Authentic relationship with God is discipleship. And it leads to our transformation. That is the intent. That, that all these practices, these, these things that we do, this Bible study, this prayer, this serving, this giving, fasting, all these things are not related to those activities. They're related to a growing relationship with God. It's not religious activity. It's not just learning. It's not just doing good. It's, it's based on this concept of leaning into God and learning from God and being changed as disciples through our relationship with God. And the practices, prayer, fasting, giving, attending a church service, even going to a small group or a Sunday school class, tithing, all these things mean very little unless they are coupled with a deep and vulnerable relationship with God and others. You know, that's the importance of the small group connection that Judy's talking about, that this vulnerable relationship, this deeper relationship, that, that's the importance that I, I don't believe that we can fully experience that in this room. We need others. And so I'm going to dive into the scripture, Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have your reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you that they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now we're going to skip on down. To verse 16. And next week, Josh is going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. But in verse 16, it says, When you fast, do not look some somber as the hypocrites do, for they, will, they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it may not be, will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who's unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. you know, these are rather harsh words, because when Jesus is talking about these things, there's actually people that were doing these things. The Pharisees and the scribes would announce their giving. That the Pharisees and scribes would be extremely public in their prayer. That the Pharisees and scribes would make sure that people knew they were fasting. 
And Jesus uses this word hypocrite. Now, this word hypocrite is not, not really just a, a religious word. We use it in a religious connotation. But in essence, a hypocrite is an actor. And so Jesus uses this word, this word hypocrite, to refer to the Pharisees and scribes who are doing these things. And he uses it in relation to them often. And I believe... Now, maybe Jesus said this harshly. I don't believe Jesus is using this word with harshness. I believe Jesus is saying this with compassion. He's saying, you're doing all these things, but you're just putting on a show. You're, you're just phony and fake. That's not what's inside you. And so I think when Jesus uses that word hypocrite, it's with a little bit of compassion for these people going through all the work for all the wrong reasons. Now, Terry and I have a 90-pound golden doodle. That is a lot of hyper. And Kobe is the biggest barker you've ever seen. I mean, this dog can bark. And so the other day, we're walking down the street, and some little five-pound chihuahua was running loose and was coming towards him and barking. And every time Kobe would bark, the dog would back up because, you know, Kobe's pretty big, and he's pretty little, and... And then finally, Kobe ran all the way to this dog, and he's barking, and the little dog nipped at him, and the next thing I knew, Kobe was standing behind me. He is the worst watchdog ever. Um, all bark, no bite. And Jesus is saying, you're all bark. You're no bite. You're just putting on a show, but there's nothing really there. You're doing all this fasting, but it's just so people can see you. You're giving, but you're giving for the wrong reason. You're praying, and it's just so people can see that you're praying. And so Jesus is saying, authenticity matters. Authenticity matters in relationship. So what should be our motivation? Why should we give? Why should we fast? Why should we pray? Why should we study the word? Why should we gather? Jesus says, I have come to do the will of him who sent me. So Jesus is our model. So the, so the motivation of Jesus was what? Pleasing his father, knowing his father, following his father's commands. My, my niece Heather, several years ago, I can't even remember where, what the context was that, was that she used this. I think it was when she was baptized, she used the phrase, I just want to make God smile. And I thought that was a pretty good way of putting it, that, that our motivation is to, make, to please God, to make God smile. So when I give, I don't give so other people see. I don't, I don't give to, to soothe my conscience. I give because I believe it pleases God. When I pray, I don't pray just out of, out of religious duty, but, but, but when I pray, I pray because I want to hear from God. And I believe God wants to hear from me. Do you ever realize that God wants to hear from you? I fast because I want to depend on God more. Now, now, once again, these aren't exclusive 
principles. Jesus isn't saying, hey, it's all about fasting, praying, and, and, and giving. All these things, there's, there's all sorts of things that we do to grow in faith. You know, corporate worship, we, we serve. All these are disciplines. And we could, we could talk about the disciplines, but Jesus is talking about the motivation of the disciplines with regard to disciples. When you do these things, why are you doing them? Why did you come to church this morning? Why are you here? Motivation matters. See, authentic disciples are seeking a real relationship with God. It's not about what other people think. It's about what God thinks. So two final things. Can we do these things in public? Right? Okay, Jesus is talking about praying in public, and he's, he, he's talking about giving in public. And, you know, we pass, or we, we used to pass offering plates. We have giving boxes in the back now. And, you know, in a few minutes, I'm going to be saying a public prayer. And to take these words completely without context, it would be, what, what, am I being dis- disobedient to Jesus and, and praying? And we talk about giving we talk about giving to others. Sometimes we'll do campaigns, and somebody will say, hey, I've decided to give this campaign, and this is why. You know, sometimes we'll let people know that we're fasting or the other things that we're doing. You know, we bring people up, and they talk about how they're serving, and we want you to see so you can duplicate what we celebrate, right? I think it's important that when you're doing these things in public that you be self-aware. Um, I've come to the conclusion that oftentimes self-awareness is one of the most important attributes you can have. To be self-real. If you can't be real with yourself, if you can't be aware of your motivation, if you can't, if you can't dive in deeper, uh, you're going to have some issues. So it's important to honestly assess yourself, to assess myself. Am I being obedient to God. Is this something that pleases God? Is this what he wants me to be doing? Am I simply feeding my ego? Is this building me up or is it building God up? Am I being authentic? So if I stand in front of you, and and that's why folks, oftentimes when I preach, I want you to know I'm not perfect. I don't have everything right. Sometimes I have to confess. Sometimes I mess up. I never want you to look at me and say, oh, well, pastor's preaching from perfection. I'm preaching from the same place you are. I'm preaching striving after God. And it's important that we're self-aware. Will my relationship with God grow? will help others' relationship with God grow. I mean, is what, are doing, what we're doing publicly leading someone closer to God or further from God? And then the second issue is this, how important are my feelings? Um, am I being fake when I pray, when I give, when I fast, When I go to church, maybe you came to church this morning, and when your alarm went off, you went, I don't want to go today. And maybe your husband or your wife smacked you in the head and said, you're getting up and going, because I've got to go. When you sing, you ever sing a song, you know, great is thy faithfulness, and you're thinking, man, he doesn't feel very faithful right now. Can we be real enough to acknowledge that at least? Or you serve, but you don't feel like it? We go back to what we said earlier. 
Discipleship is based on relationship. In your earthly relationships, think about the significant relationships that you have in this world. You do not respond in that relationship entirely upon emotions, right? If you've been married any length of time, um, you know, I, I've heard the phrase, and, you know, I've never thought about divorce, murder, yes, but divorce never, right? You know, we've heard about that, you know, that, and sometimes in relationships, it's not based on emotions and feelings, Kids, sometimes you're not going to do things because you think your parents are great. You're going to do it just out, simply out of obedience. Parents, sometimes your kids can drive you crazy, but you're going to love them and continue to do for them anyhow, right? So every relationship, if we want to grow into, oftentimes it's not based on feeling, but it's based on commitment and patience, right? That, that we, we were saying, I, I don't feel like this, but, but I'm going to do what's right because this is what's right. It's true in our relationship with God. So sometimes we do these things not out of feeling, but out of discipline with the right motivation, right? I want to grow close, closer to you, God. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like fasting. I don't want to go to church today. I don't, want to, I don't feel like we, but I'm going to do it, God, because my motivation is not the religious duty, but my motivation is to grow closer to you. We call them disciplines. And disciplines are just that. They are disciplines. Every morning between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m., I get up and I lift and I exercise. I try to keep it fun, but can I tell you, most mornings when I'm getting up, I don't want to go down to my basement and do any of those things, right? But it's a discipline. There's a motivation. I want to grow physically. I want to grow in my, my physical being. And, and, and our relationship with God is the same. To be a disciple is to accept discipline, self-control, doing things beyond what we feel like doing. Paul writes, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. In other words, Paul's talking about discipline in our spiritual life. Folks, everything you do in serving God will not be based on feeling. I'm thankful for the feeling, but sometimes, folks, we just simply do because we love God and we're committed to God and we believe and we know that perhaps the feeling may follow later. So how are you doing? Are you making yourself available to others? God invites us to practice these things with others. It's the importance of confession, and not just confession to him, but confession to each other. And that doesn't happen just in this big gathering, but it happens in the small. What's motivating you? I mean, what, what's your true motivation? Are you authentic? Not, not how are you feeling, but are you honestly giving God your best? You're not hiding. You're not playing a role. It's probably my favorite, one of my favorite poems. It's Dayton's own 
John Lawrence Dunbar. His most famous poem is Sympathy, and it's, it's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, but he, he, he wrote a poem called We Wear the Mask, and it says, We wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile, with torn and bleeding hearts we smile and mouth with myriad subtleties. Why should the world be overwise in counting all our tears and sighs? They let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, O great Christ, our cries to thee from tortured souls arise. We sing, but oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet and along the mile, but let the world dream otherwise. We wear the mask. My question for you this morning is, are you wearing a mask? Not, 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 not how do you feel emotionally, but what's motivating what you're doing? I'm going to give us some space. It's 10.07, so we're going to bring lights down and put some music on, just give you space. Our altars are always available. Um, maybe, maybe God's speaking to you in something that you're doing or something you need to start doing. And I'm going to give you a space to respond before I close this in prayer. And Lord, as I, I pray publicly, I'm aware of your words. Lord, may my prayer be motivated by my love for you. Lord, may, may my prayer not impede anybody's relationship with you. May my words not impede anybody's relationship with you. Lord, last week we, we talked about this ideal that we're called to be your images. We're called not to take your name in vain. But when we declare ourselves disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, as the children of God, you want us to be authentic children, seeking you, willing to confess when we're wrong, willing to love others fully, be vulnerable, transparent, not a setting like this necessarily, but Lord, this should lead to smaller connections where we're really known. Lord, I just keep going back to, to Judy's connection moment. Point of it all. You call us to relationship, not religious duty. You don't want us to be a collection of do-gooders, but you want us to be a, a collection of disciples seeking hard after you, wanting to know you, your heart, the way you see, your perspective. Lord, check our motivations. Help us to be real, authentic, honest, transparent with you and with others. Now, Lord, as we go from this place, uh, we can take your word with us or we can leave it right here. It, it can go with us through the week or we can say, well, that was another message. Now I'll wait till next week. May your words continue to bite, to change, to transform. 
Lord, may they forget what I've said, but remember what your spirit is saying to our hearts even now. Now, Lord, we love you. You're worthy of all these things, all that we can give you. You're worthy of our life. Help us, Lord, to make you smile this today, to make you smile this week. And Lord, may our motives match our actions. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.